Hi everyone, it's James here from Pro Tools Expert um, with a special podcast extra interview. It gives me great pleasure to welcome from the other side of the pond, uh, LA somewhere I believe, um, Steve Jarek. Great to see you, Steve. Hey. Great to see you. How are you? Very well. Um, bit of back story. Steve and I met at this year's NAMM show um, after chasing each other down what felt like most of the show and most of Anaheim for drinks in the evening. Uh, eventually... Um, getting together and uh, realizing that it was just chance to chat and share love of gear and um, hence you agreed to come on and be grilled on a podcast extra. Absolutely. Anytime. I'm actually a big fan of the show. I listen to it every week. Awesome stuff. It's getting better all the time. So, <laughs> so how did you get started in this, the world that is audio and audio recording? Um, I think like most engineers, I was a horrible musician. And realized very quickly I was that was never going to be my uh, way into the music business, and um, and I had friends that had bands and stuff, and um, I really didn't like pushing gear around and lugging road cases and all that stuff. And I saw the guy at the mixing board and went, "Well, I can do that. He's not doing anything," <clears throat> and kind of saddled up to it. And then and then realized I really loved it. It was really fun, and I've always been kind of a techie guy. Um, so, so it just kind of naturally evolved into that. Um, and so, li the time, live sound first, then then into studio, or um, kind of a combination of both. You know, I did live sound in clubs and stuff like that with friends' bands. But um, at the time, you know, this is like 1990-ish. The the school thing was just starting, and there was a school here in LA called the Trevis Institute. And um, I figured, well, I didn't know anything, so I might as well do that. And um, so I started that program, and after a few months, um, the guy that was sitting next to me in one of my classes was working at a studio, and, and I found out one day that he got fired. So I literally picked up my books in the middle of class and walked out and went down and got his job, <laughs> and then realized very quickly, I was learning more at the studio. It was a studio called Cherokee in LA. I was learning more there than I was in school. You know, the schools then were not like they are now, and I definitely was learning more at the studio. So I just quit going to school and just would go to the studio for you know 18 hours a day or whatever it was so you're definitely um um a exponent if you like of what was the old studio progression from runner to t-boy to tape op to well now uh, exactly well t what what actually is your position because you've you've got a pretty um prestigious situation at the moment uh, a, 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 a round building Yes, I work in a very round building in Hollywood. Um, I'm a, a staff engineer at Capitol Records, Capitol Studios. Um, <clears throat> and I've been there for 20 years now, which is kind of odd. When you say the, the, the studio system, yeah, I'm kind of the last of the studio system guys. I think I'm one of the last of the staff engineers. There's, there's four staff engineers at Capitol. And, um, you know, it's, a, it's been a great experience, a great studio. Um, my main job for the last like 15 years is I've, I work with Al Schmidt. I'm Al's guy and we're kind of attached at the hip, um, which has been fantastic. You know, most of, most of what you see on a discography or a resume from me has to, came directly through him. So, um, so how did you get onto sort of Al's, Al's radar, so to speak? Cause I mean, he, he, I'm guessing he's, he's hanging out around Capital and working there all the time, but to be the guy that he says, you know what, I want to work with you. That's that's pretty impressive. That's pretty special. Well, what happened was is, is a friend of mine was Al's assistant. Um, actually, a guy that I worked at the first studio at Cherokee, a friend of mine named Bill Smith. Um, and I ran into Bill one night 
at a bar, literally. And he said, you know, he had he was working at Capital and and he said, you know, we had a guy that just left. You should you should kind of the same thing. We had a guy that just left. You should come get his job. Uh, and he convinced me over a few beers to do it. And uh, there's always beer uh, involved. <laughs> exactly. Um, you see how this is going, right? <laughs> um, and uh, so I literally I went down the next day and talked to the boss, and they were like, "Yeah, come on in." So excuse me if there's noise. My dogs are going crazy. Um, he's, they said, "Yeah, you know, come on down." So I started at Capital, and and Bill was Al's assistant. And so I started working on projects with those guys, just kind of being the third, you know, the second assistant, running tape, whatever I could do. And I kind of learned the system and all that. And then when Bill uh, decided it was time for him to move on to to be an independent engineer, which he still does, I just kind of slid right in with Al and started doing those projects. And then at the time, you know, he was so busy and he was always at Capital, so it made sense for me to just stay on staff at Capital because we were doing 90% of our stuff there, probably more than 90%. Um, so it was it was great. I just slid right in and, and you know, as and that was kind of right when the Pro Tools thing started also, when Al started using Pro Tools, when the HD systems came out. Um, and when that happened, then I was really in because then, you know, he doesn't want to know about, I mean, he knows about Pro Tools, he knows how to use it, you know, but he doesn't do editing, he doesn't do all that kind of stuff. I do all that. So, so then I guess we kind of came, became a little more attached. Um, and then just over the years, you know, we've become really good friends and we have a lot of fun. And, you know, the, the lines between what he does and what I do have, have blurred at times and not blurred at times. And, you know, half the time we don't even talk to each other. We just kind of go about our business and we don't we don't have to talk on a session he, he'll just look at me and i know what he wants to do and you know or vice versa <laughs> that that's that's a great relationship to get so so would you say you're with with al are, are you a, a mixer are you an engineer are you a i, I suppose you've just said it, it's very very blurred but uh, okay so what yeah um i mean i guess officially i would be his assistant <laughs> and the pro tools operator um, again, that line does blur sometimes if, if it's, you know, uh, he's definitely the mixer. I will never, that's his thing. And, and I will never, ever claim to have <laughs> to do any of the mixing. That's all on him. Um, and he's the best at it. Um, you know, there's times where, you know, we have, we have records where I'll, maybe I'll cut the tracks or I'll do the overdubs, stuff like that. But if Al's in the room, he's engineering. Cool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm usually at that point sitting behind a Pro Tools rig. You know, but but we're also, you know, we're we're discussing the setup of the room and mic choices and stuff like that, and and you know, trying out new stuff. We're always trying out new mics and new preamps and all that kind of stuff. Um, for as much as Al gets touted as not using any gear, we use lots of mics and lots of preamps. We just don't use any EQ. That well, yeah, <laughs> that I, I I can't. I'm not going to take any claim on that at all. But that's definitely the way I I like to try and work. Get the right mic in the right place. Um, with a great pre, and theoretically, you don't need to change very much. With the right musician. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Add, add, <laughs> that's that, the most important that's, part. That's the caveat, isn't it? Um, exactly. So what? So what's your favorite part of it? What's your favorite part of the process? Is it getting it? I mean, I'm guessing you're, you're a Pro Tools guy, but you've worked with the legend of tape. and. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I, over it. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's funny though, isn't it? When someone like Al is so um, steeped in kind of recording, recording history almost. I mean, he's he's done some some. I mean, I can't think of an artist he probably hasn't worked with in the kind of 
when I say artist, I mean recording artist rather than someone like a, a mix produ- produced artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of anyone he hasn't worked with. So, and there wasn't Pro Tools back in the day. So, I mean, certainly that that sort of workflow you talk about, Mike, preamp, get it the right place with the right person. You know, it screams a perfect tape workflow. But you've you've embraced Pro Tools in a big way. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, again, when when I started and when I started with Al, we were still using tape um, for a few years when I was with Al. Um, so when he, when we switched over to Pro Tools, it, it's really just. It's just a recording medium. It's just a big tape machine with pretty colors on it um, that we can keep recording. You know, we don't have to change reels and we don't have to. And and it, so the the way we record <coughs> him and 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 me now, because, you know, he's taught me. So that's pretty much how I record, too, is to is to get it right at the source. We haven't we haven't changed the way we've done anything just because it's Pro Tools other than now we can go really fast. And now we can keep multiple takes and we can have a, a million tracks, which sometimes is good and sometimes is bad. <laughs> um, but the way we do it hasn't changed at all. So the, the, the process, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what it's going to. The fact is, it's a, great, it's a great player with a great instrument into a great mic in a great room. Yep. There's a lot of greats and in there somewhere. <laughs> there is. And, and that's, I mean, it is the great part about Pro Tools. You know, he, he waited, you know, he didn't really like the 888s and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't blame him. I didn't like them either. When the HD converters came out and we could go to 96K, that's kind of when he decided, all right, this is good enough now. You know, we did some testing and figured that, you know, we couldn't tell the difference. So, you know, I bet our clients can't either. You know, we, we, weren't, we weren't tape guys that were, that were hitting the machine really hard and getting tape compression and all that, all that stuff. So for us, it, was, it, it got rid of the noise, which was great. Um, you know, that's kind of... At, at, Nowadays, that's how I can tell. Like when we have to do stuff on tape in Pro Tools, that's usually my tell as to what I'm listening to is for the tape is. Um, we we did a project a few years back where one of the Diana Crawl records and and we had we were doing a current record, but they wanted to do a bonus track and we wanted to go back to a song we had cut a few years before and we had cut it on tape and it was 48 track Dolby SR. It sounded fantastic, but you put it up against the new stuff and all I could hear was tape hiss. And we had to go through and denoise. You know, I had to take the tape hiss out where I could. It was it was just too annoying to to have the two sitting next to each other. But it's funny that you've said you've said nine, you've um, stressed ninety six k. Ninety six, and now most of the stuff we're doing is at one ninety two. Wow, yeah, it's it sounds really really good. Um, <clears throat> the great part about it is is it comes back sounding the same way it went out. Um, you don't have that thing where the cons, you know, the tape changes the sound of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you don't have the thing where after you know a month of overdubs, the high end fell off the tape, kind of stuff like that. Um, the tape doesn't fold. I can do edits that you never could have done on tape. Oh, um, I, I think that there's that that film that aims to diss Pro Tools does a pretty bad job of it. When um, I think it's Trent Reznor takes about eight minutes to do a tape edit to remove two bars, and in two seconds he removes two bars in a Pro Tools session. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just did a record with Neil Young, and we did it to to uh, to to tape, <coughs> excuse me, into 192 Pro Tools um, because Neil wanted to have it both ways. And at one point we were on the stage and. And we did. Sorry, phone's ringing. Uh, we were on the stage, and and 
they did a couple takes and somebody said, oh, that's great. Can we use the intro up to the first verse from this one? And then we can use the back half of that one. And I said, yeah, sure. And I just did the edit and played it back and we moved on. Well, when we got to mixing, the, if if you it's this new Neil Young record story tone. If you buy the um, if you buy the vinyl version, the vinyl version is actually analog all the way through. We went back and mixed. We printed stuff off the analog tape into half inch and all that. So so I had to recreate that edit in on tape. Ooh. So an edit that took me. I and mean, it was it was an easy edit. It was just you know bang right. Everybody straight through. But it took me about two minutes to do the edit in Pro Tools, maybe, if that long. And it took me about two hours to do it on tape. Yeah, why do we want to go, why would anyone want to go back? Yeah, it's just, uh, um, you know, and we, we have a box of capital where we can, we can feed the buses to two places, so we can feed it to a tape machine and to the Pro Tools and switch back and forth seamlessly. And we do tests all the time where we sit people down and, you know, okay, listen, and you tell us which one you like better. and you know, more than nine out of 10 times, people are picking the digital. Mm. Um, you know, if they pick the analog, sometimes it's, there's some weird thing that might happen where, you know, something sounded good because we hit it hard and it compressed a little bit or something like that. But for the most part, everybody, even the diehard analog guys are floored when we tell them that they keep picking the digital. So like I said, I'm over it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny though. I mean, um, do you think, I, I mean, we, we go on about this term bedroom boys, but the bedroom boys, let's face it, my, my shed's a glorified bedroom, really. Um, mm -hmm. We've got the same, to a greater or lesser extent, we've got the same power as you guys have at Capital or at um, East West or at any of the, or the three London studios there are left now. Um, do you still see there's a place for the big studio in inverted commas? Yeah, uh, I th there's two things where the big studio um first of all like a lot of the big projects that we do you know big orchestral dates and stuff like that bands playing all together uh you know you need a big room for that stuff you need big consoles you need you know that stuff is very difficult to do all in the box you know you still have to split it out on consoles and have faders and be able to ride gain and all you know get headphone mixes and all that kind of stuff so so for a lot of the big sessions like that you still need a big room um the other Big difference that I see, and you know, there's a lot of bedroom studios here. I'm sitting in not my bedroom, but I'm sitting in my home studio. Um, the most, the biggest problem I have with most home studios is the listening environment is not um, taken into into consideration, and you don't know what you're hearing, and you'll have weird standing waves and bumps, frequency bumps, and all that kind of stuff. So, so sometimes you know, the big studios are great. You know, we tell people all the time, they'll come to Studio C at Capitol, we'll be mixing and they'll say, oh, well, you know, I don't know, I, you know, I've never been in this room before and I don't know what it sounds like. I say, look, you know, somebody spent millions of dollars to make this room sound good. I would trust this room if I were you, <laughs> rather than your home studio. Um, that being said, there are a lot of great home studios out there. You know, I mix stuff in my studio here, but I spent a lot of time getting, getting it to sound right, where I knew what was coming out of my speakers was, was true. Um, and I made a lot of changes to stuff, you know, just moving stuff around and all that. I mean, I'm in the middle of my house, so I can't really do construction. But I did a lot of stuff with sliding speakers around and moving stuff. And, mm -hmm. you know, oh, let me try putting these pictures on the wall and see if it changes something. And, and then just learning the room. That was the hardest part. So, so do you ever get, 
to to get away from Capital as a building? I mean, obviously you're still a staff engineer there, but do you get to work in the other LA studios or with any of the other kind of um, named mix engineers? You know, absolutely. Um, outside of the building, I don't work with a lot of other engineers. If I'm going outside the building, it's usually to engineer stuff on my own. Um, <clears throat> I have a nice deal with Capital where they I can also work as an independent engineer. Um, so yeah, I work at all the you know. My stuff is all packed up behind me right now. I'm going off to do about a month at Ocean Way. I'll be there every weekend for the next month, or United, as it's now called. Um, I work at East West all the time. I work at the Village. Um, you know, Al and I will travel around sometimes. You know, we were talking earlier. I went to London a couple of years ago and did a project. We went to Brazil and did a project. So, so yeah, I get to get around to all the other studios. Um, as far as working with other engineers, I still do some assisting at Capital. Um, which is to me, I really like. Um, I'm usually if I'm if I'm doing it, it's a bigger project. Um, you know, I get the big complicated ones, and um, you know, all those other engineers—they're all my friends. I've worked with them for years. So, like I tell the guys, I I like assisting because I still get to steal shit from other people. So, so speaking of uh, big projects, um, you had a little event on at Capital back in February. Just a little event that was broadcast to something like. 50 billion people probably Some, something like that tell us yeah. a little bit about the academy awards or as they're better known the oscars the oscars yeah the oscars is our it's our biggest session every year um we've been working on the oscars i think this was my 17th year on the oscars um but about three years ago i think this is the third year three years ago they decided that somebody came along <coughs> excuse me um, and when they built the set at the Dolby Theater, they covered the orchestra pit and filled it full of stuff without taking into consideration that the orchestra had to be in there. <laughs> um, so the workaround was, is in this technological day and age, we have great fiber lines. So we installed fiber lines between the Dolby Theater and Capitol, which are about you know a mile, maybe not even a mile My away. My LA geography is not that great, but it's, it's not next door, is it? It's not next door. It's it's walkable, but it's a good walk. <laughs> um, if you know L.A., we're at Vine Street. They're at Highland, so it's a decent walk. One train station um, for the four people that take the train in L.A. Um, so we just so they they decided we were going to do the show live from Capitol. So at this point, it's been the last three years. Um, the show is at the Dolby Theater. The orchestra is at um, is at Capitol playing live. Um, we have you know, these high speed fiber lines, um, they bring in a whole, the, the Academy people bring in a whole team of guys that, that take care of the lines and all the PL and the cameras back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we do the show live. So what it is basically is we're there for about a week before the show. And the first, the first half of our job is, is it's like, it's, it's like a two day setup, first of all, just to get everybody in there. It's a big orchestra. It's about 65, 70 people plus all the lines and the headphones and all that kind of stuff. So it takes a while to set it up. Um, the, first, the first part of it, we pre-record and rehearse the entire show. So everything is on tape somewhere. Um, we pre-record all the songs, all the dance numbers, all the cues in and out, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it also serves as rehearsal for the, the artists come down to Capitol. We get a good clean vocal of them, you know, the, the just in case vocal, all that kind of stuff. And then the second half of the week, we, we hook up with the stage and we do all the rehearsals back and forth. So, so when you're watching the Oscars, everybody on stage is singing and playing. Um, but the music, the, 
the orchestra and all that kind of stuff is actually coming from Capitol. And they can see us. We have cameras back and forth, so they can look out and see the conductor and see him waving his arms. And So you know, the, the conductor's we... at the Dolby? No, the conductor's at Capitol. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds crazy. <laughs> yeah. But he's got, and he's got a little foot switch where he can actually talk to the stage or talk into their ears or whatever. He can talk to the directors. He can talk to us. Um, we have PL back and forth, or we can talk to the different trucks, or we can talk to the conductor, or sometimes the artist directly on stage. Um, it's it's pretty fun. Um, I love the rush of that. It's you know it, it's great. The first year, some guy came in about ten minutes before the show. It, you know, we were kind of nervous because it's the first time we had done it live. And he said, "Don't worry, guys. It's only a billion people. <laughs> no pressure. Thanks. It's it's yeah. the ultimate live recording, though, isn't it? It's it's there's no." There's no hiding a mistake in a show that's that that big and that prestigious. No, not at all. The good part about it is that by the time we do the show, which which here in LA is like five o'clock on the Sunday of that week, we've already run the complete show at least three or four times. We actually run the entire show straight through the morning of the show. Wow! With all the presenters and everybody. Um, as so a full kind of the, dress rehearsal type thing. As a f yeah, we've done it. By the time we get to the show, we've done full dress rehearsals, at least two full ones nonstop. Wow. Um, so by that time, we kind of know what we're doing there. Um, and as far as the music, you know, by that time, we've pre-recorded everything. We've mixed everything. So we're pretty familiar with, with the material. So at that point, it's just a matter of getting it out there. Um, you know, there's also there's a lot of engineers on it. Tommy Vicari is the main mixer. He's the main music mixer who sits, who's you know, he's at the console at Capitol. Um, and then we have myself and Chandler Harrod, who's another one of the Capitol engineers, um, and Danny Vicari, Tommy's brother. And we're all kind of going at it. You know, we all have different roles as the week progresses. Um, you know, when the show's actually going on, I'm sitting with headphones on, mixing all the headphones to our band, um, you know, so and getting back and, you know, so that they can hear the stage and everything else. So, you know, it's it's pretty extensive. I mean, just the headphone. I use I use the Capital Pro Tools rig as the headphone mixer. I have something like a dozen <laughs> headphone mixes. And, and it got so big that I just set up a session full of aux inputs and outputs. And that's how I drive all the headphones is literally on a, on a big Pro Tools system. I think last year we had something like 80, 88 inputs to both rigs. Wow. It was it's really big. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a pretty sizable session. Yep. Um and and presumably the whole thing about having having done it three times that if you if you do need to cut in there is a I'm assuming there's a backup system rolling that can just go and kick yeah, in. Yeah, it's not quite it's not quite that quick. It the backup system is a person on the stage, but he's got backup of everything. Um, I mean, you know, we've never really talked about it, like what happens if the line goes down, but I'm sure, I mean, I know he has everything. Um, we, we, we have contingencies at Capitol if something breaks that we can fix it very quickly. Um, we have, the week before, they bring in a big, huge semi full of generators and I was about to say, the only so thing that would kill you is, is a power cut, but if you've got yeah, a truck full of... We, Backup. Yeah, we have a truck, and they actually run the power. They they take the power down to the studios and run it through the truck. So we have it's a big, huge, uninterruptible power supply on the entire studio. So if the power goes out in Los Angeles, you, the Dolby Theater and Capitol Studios will still have lights, and that <laughs> show will still happen. <laughs> so, 
so you've come the um, let's call it the old school route because um, I can't think of anything better to call it. But if you were coming into the industry now, I'm assuming the guys, I'm assuming there are the young guys at Capital who are coming in and going, who have been the kind of full sale SAE kind of that sort of route. Is that the way that now, if you want to work at Capital, if you're listening to this and you're, I don't know, university age and you're thinking, do you know what, do I really want to do this or do I want to go straight into the studio? Um, I guess that's the, that's the way to go now, yeah? Um, yeah. First of all, if you want to work at Capital, don't email me because that's not how you get it. <laughs> so, um, um, yeah, I would say it's not a really requirement. I can't say that that we have a a policy of we only hire people out of schools, but it seems to be that the best, uh, most qualified people that we get now are out of the schools. Um, we have a few guys from from Berkeley. Um, we have some guys from. I think we have one guy from that actually is from Blackbird now, um, a couple other schools, but they seem to be the most qualified guys. The, the, the guys that we, ha and girls, we have some girls at Capital too that, that have gone through. Um, and they seem to be, you know, their job at Capital is a little more than, than just making coffee and stuff. Our, our, we call them the, our setup staff and they actually set up the rooms for us. So if I have a session, I hand them a drawing and a mic input and that kind of stuff, and they have to set up the room for me. Um, so they ha they need to be a little bit more on top of it. So very rarely is it you know a fresh faced. I I have no idea what I'm doing like I was when I started at a studio. Um, these kids pretty these kids know what they're doing. I mean I learn Pro Tools stuff from them all the time because they're all sitting there with their laptops at home, you know, trying to be recording engineers, which is great, you know. Um, then they realize. Then they come to Capital and realize that just because you know Pro Tools does not make you a recording engineer. And oh my God, there's so much more that you have no idea about in in running a session. That just knowing how to hit record in Pro Tools and you know and pull up a, a plug-in compressor does not get you into the hot seat. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the one thing that um, speaking to many and various people in studios around the world, they all say. We get kids fresh out of college or fresh out of school, whatever, and they think, right, I'm going to come in and drive the desk. Yeah, and, right. And well, nowadays we have to teach them how to use the desk because <laughs> they've never seen one before. Yeah, that, that, not, not from the schools. The schools are pretty good about it. That but. big heater in the corner. Exactly. Um, so so if, if, you, if you were starting again now and you could go back in time and meet yourself, X number of years ago, what would be the piece of it, the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? That either maybe the mistake you made or, or some some moment of wisdom you would offer yourself. Um, what would I tell myself? Get a different job. <laughs> <laughs> this one's hard. <laughs> and uh, and by the way, the indie, the music business is going to fall out from underneath you in the next couple of years, like it did in the nineties. Um, no, that's, I mean, I, I, I love what I do. I, what would I tell myself? That's a good question. Um, probably learn the computer a little bit better, a little bit quicker, learn the ins and outs of it. Um, you know, keep up with the new technology. It was something that when I realized it was happening that quickly, I had to kind of scramble to, to catch up a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, be ready for the opportunities. I mean, I, I think that's something that I've, that I've done a pretty good job of, um, you know, you, you can call it luck, you can call it whatever you want, but 
But the fact of the matter is when you get lucky and that opportunity comes up for you to do something, you have to be able to do it. Um, so learn as much as you can, meet as many people as you can. You know, the, the networking thing, you know, it, it, it's great. I mean, you know, official networking, you know, going out and forcing yourself on people is not a good thing. But, but you know, just being a cool guy and, and hanging out and, you know, talking to people and that kind of stuff, that, that's the hardest thing to learn, I think. I think that's why I like trade shows. Everyone says you're mad for liking trade shows. But say, as, as the fact that we're, we're chatting now, uh, it is amazing the people you meet at events like NAMM and Music Master, which we've got coming up. Um, they're, they're probably the two biggest tra music trade events in the world now. Sure. Um, that a AES here is pretty big. I can tell you the day that, the day that we had drinks, that was the only, because of work, that was the only day I was at the NAMM show. I don't think I looked at one piece of gear, honestly. I, I did not. I just walked around and talked to friends and met people and, you know, hooked up with people I don't see all the time and that kind of stuff. There was really no piece of gear that I was terribly interested in seeing. Um, and, and anything that I wanted to see, I could probably find online anyways. So I wasn't really... I wasn't really looking to look for gear. I just go down to see my friends and, and, and you know, see the people I haven't seen in such a long time. It is great. It's a big party. It's fun. I, I think that's the thing that everyone forgets as well, that the, probably as much business is done in the bar as is done on the trade show floor. Absolutely. Now, I'm, I'm not encouraging drinking in any way, shape, or form, but... <laughs> but that's where the business gets done. It, yeah. I mean, I'm down there at night. You know, the show ends at, what, 6 o'clock? And I'm down there till 11 or 12 every night, whether it's the Tech Awards or, you know, there was a couple awards show. That, uh, this year I went to the She Rock Awards. Our, our studio manager, Paula, got an award. Um, but it's fun. You get to hang out and, and see your friends. And, and a lot of time, you know, I'm lucky I work at Capital. We have a multi-room facility. There's always people around. It's great. But if you're working at your house or if you're working at a studio that's only got one room, if you're not out, sometimes that's the only time you get to see people. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, that's the only thing now with the whole the bedroom boy mentality. And I really, we've got to find something better to call it than that, because say there are some pretty sophisticated facilities and some some really very very good albums that have been produced in significantly smaller garden sheds than mine. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But I mean, I had a record this year that was nominated for a Grammy that I mixed literally in this little office. It's it can be done, and and the. The thing that I think people don't always realize is that it's not the equipment at the big studios. It used to be the equipment at the big studios. It's not the equipment there. It's the people running the equipment. I mean, I, you know, I can give whoever this, the exact same equipment. I mean, you'd be shocked if you knew what I was mixing records on. It's not. I haven't spent a ton of money on stuff. I don't have all kinds. of. I have the gear that I like to use. Um Okay, well, well, then there you go. Give it, give us the rundown of your your home studio. My home studio. I'm I'm running my entire rig off of my MacBook Pro, <laughs> with a little a little DAC that runs into my JBL speaker system. Um, I have my Pro controls that I'm sitting in front of because nobody's bitched about that on the show for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm still hanging on to. I was about to say, so love. you're running Pro Tools 10 then? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm running Pro Tools 10. Um, you know, I have a good selection of plugins, waves, um, some stuff like that. You know, the usual compliment. I haven't jumped over here at home. I haven't jumped over to the UAD. I use them at Capital all the time, um, and that's going to be my next upgrade. Um, but that I have my my JBL speakers, which are the you know the best. I love them. Um, I've been using them for about ten years. I have those in a pair of NS10s. 
um, and that's it. Uh, for a, a long time, I was using some outboard reverbs. I had Lexicon PCM96 and a TC3000. And recently, I've moved off of those and gone completely in the box, and I'm using mostly Lexicon reverbs and Echo Boy and all, all the normal stuff. Mm. Nothing, nothing fancy. I think that's it. And so on the, on the same trip as when I met you, um, I was chatting with one of the guys in a, a certain retail outlet store, and I was saying that I got a really good mix from actually limiting myself to one brand and actually one type of plugin. I was, I think, the um, SSL Waves SSL channel strip, um, sure. and they said, "Well, of course you do, because it's like mixing on a desk. They're designed to sound like a console. Therefore, you get the continuity of every channel sounding like it was mixed on the same console." Absolutely. Which is yeah, uh, quite scary yeah, when you think, and we've all got 500 series modules. Um, or, or not, as it, as it may be, um, where we can now pretty much build the mixer of our dreams. Is that actually a bad thing? We're, we should be looking all at filling up 500 series modules of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I like having the ability to, to pick and choose. That being said, I'm probably using the same, if you open any one of my sessions, it's probably the same six or seven plugins that are on everything. You know, I'm grabbing API EQs and pull techs and, you know, summit limiters and LA2As and all that, you know all that good stuff. What, what I find is some of the plugins that, um, that are designed to do a lot where you can get real surgical with stuff and, and they're really great, but sometimes they have too many features in them. You know, I find, you know, I'll get stuff, people will send me stuff to mix and I'll get their Pro Tools sessions with their rough mixes. And there's, you know, all this MS processing and all this stuff that, you know, and it's just like, what, why did, you know, that doesn't need all that, you know, these things, some of these things are there as tools to fix problems. They're not tools to, to use on everything. And, and you end up with this phasey nightmare and, you know, suddenly, you know, you just start taking the plugins off and the whole mix comes back into focus. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is some of these plugins are so powerful that people don't know exactly what they're doing. And that's where they're falling into a trap. I mean, I would say if you're just starting out learning how to mix, yeah, get two EQs and two compressors and try not to use them. <laughs> but, you, but you're absolutely right. Um, the number, say, I, I do very, very, very little mixing. Most of this space is for tracking, um, and most of it's for tracking drums. So when people say, you get a really good drum sound. I'm like, thanks. It's all I do. Um, right. I've, I've been playing drums for long enough now that hopefully I should at least know vaguely what it sounds like in the room. So it should sound the same in this room, in the other, in the other room. Um, exactly. But the number of people who say, will you mix my drums? No, because I didn't play them. And that's quite scary. But I, I know what makes a good drum sound. But I know what makes my drums sound good. I suppose that's building myself into a corner a little bit. But um, Well, but that's true too. I mean, you know, I say that... You know, I, I said earlier I had a record uh, that I mixed here, got nominated for a Grammy. Well, I recorded it in a really great studio. I mean, the mixing was just putting the levels together and adding some reverb. I mean, that record was made in the studio. You know, that's, and you want to know, I mean, that's another thing about the, the big studios. You know, you want to get a good drum sound, go to Capitol Studio B and play the drums. They sound great in that room. It's not about the microphones. I mean, it is. that All that stuff is has has a valid place and it does make a difference but you know i i've i've seen records done i've worked on records where we put up a bunch of 57s and 421s on a drum kit at capital and it sounded huge and big 
You know, you don't need $100,000 worth of microphones. It helps sometimes. You know, I'm not going to say that those mics aren't great, but, you know, sometimes it's, it's the player in the room. You know, Vinny Caliuta's out there. I'm gonna have a hard time making Vinny sound bad at Capitol. You could, you could put. It's gonna a, be tough. You could put a, uh, an old-fashioned tape deck in front of him. I mean, as Absolutely. in a cassette deck with using the little internal microphone. It's still gonna sound yeah. like Vinny. Exactly, and it's and it's gonna be great. And like uh, our friend Nico Bolas has a has a say. He says, you know, I could get a great drum sound and and you know tell you I did it. You know, I put Vinny in a closet. And, you know, and you'd want to know what the dimensions of the closet were. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be said, though, you must have worked with, if not some of, probably most of the best session players in the world. Absolutely. Um, I love those guys. They make me look great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of us don't quite get the luxury sometimes, but th there is nothing like. And we say, oh, tracking this, tracking that, you know, putting everything down track by track. Yes, it it can keep it cleaner, it can keep it more sterile, it can keep separation better, but actually putting five guys in a room is how to get energy and how to get... The performance. Yes. Yeah. I'm not trying to capture a really great drum sound. I'm trying to record a really great song. You know, I, I think if you worry too much about, you know, is there enough 10K on my snare drum or, you know... Are we playing a Martin acoustic guitar? You know, who cares? Just, you know, if the guys can play and the song's good and it feels good, go for it. You know, I mean, how many songs do you know that if you actually listen to them with your engineer hat on, they're not that great sounding, but they're great. Wouldn't change a, you know, wouldn't change a note. Yeah, yeah, agreed completely. Um, Steve, I know we've got you out of bed um, probably ridiculously early with the time difference and stuff and... Um, we had actually had a solar eclipse here this morning, which was kind of strange, really? that we completely missed because it was all clouded over and nasty. But hey, you know, um, <laughs> the, the stars have lined up for us. Um, thanks ever so much for joining us from L.A. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you again. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll get set up for next year, that little thing we were planning um, that kind of fell through uh, at the end of NAM last year. We absolutely. quite literally ran out of time, but that will be quite a spectacular <laughs> event for next year's NAM. Um, well, now you know. Now you know, definitely. And thanks for having me. It's been really fun. And like I said, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the show, so being able to be on it is, is great. I'm going to hit you for one more question. Yep. Desert Island piece of gear. The, the, th the uh, thing you couldn't live without. Desert Island studio piece of gear. Uh, U67 microphone. You can do anything with it. It's never the wrong microphone. It, it might, there might be better stuff, but you can never go wrong. You can record anything with a 67. Um, affordable piece of gear and SM7. Those are my two favorite mics. Awesome. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Um, thanks so much for joining us again. Um, and thank you out there for listening. Uh, I've been James. He's been Steve. This has been a Pro Tools Expert Podcast Extra.